This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Ghanem. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have breaking news. Uh, we're going to be talking today about the uh, House's decision via Nancy Pelosi to initiate impeachment processes against uh, Donald J. Trump, uh, 44th President of the United States. There was uh, a hearing with the interim DNI director today, which we'll talk about. We're going to talk about the whole shakedown that uh, Donald Trump did with the Ukrainian president, uh, Zaleski. But I, I do have some breaking news that I do want to share with our audience, Jamal. And that's, that's right. That's the whistleblower. This is the guy who blew the whistle on Donald Trump. Uh, Let's explain what's a whistleblower. Because people have been hearing whistleblower. What's a whistleblower, Jess? Well, the, there's a technical def- definition that within the, um, within the community of intelligence, the intelligence community, the IC, a whistleblower is somebody who has a security clearance, who has access to Correct. important information, who believes that even though the information may in fact be classified, is such an affront to either the legal moral or power dynamics within the government that not revealing it will cause irreparable damage to the United States. So this whistleblower had the belief, even though this is an individual who has a security clearance, who's not allowed to divulge this information, felt that the things that Donald Trump was doing, not just with Zaleski, the president of Ukraine, but with a lot of different things that were going down with what I call the shakedown of the Ukrainian president, felt that it was incumbent upon him or her to um, blow the whistle, which, which, which means release classified information to the Congress. So before, before you, you get into his identity, because this is big news, of course, we won't have his identity, but we know what was he, what, what's his place in, in, well, this, this is in, in government. Yeah, this is interesting. Is Donald Trump accused him of being partisan accused his lawyer of also being partisan because his lawyer has donated at one point, I guess, to the Biden campaign, and then that he was there just to destroy Donald Trump. But now we know that this is a career. Yeah, check this out. Okay. So the whistleblower who revealed that Donald Trump sought foreign help for his reelection and that the White House sought to cover it up, it turns out that the whistleblower is a CIA official or officer who was detailed to work at the White House at one point, according to three people. Three independent sources say that the whistleblower is a CIA officer. Um, it turns out that uh, according to this report, which is from the New York Times, that the individual, in fact, um, is a man. He's since returned to the CIA. Little else is known about him, and his complaint was made public today, suggested that he was an, er- he was an early analyst by training, and made clear that he was steeped in the details of American foreign policy toward Europe, demonstrating a sophisticated understanding of Ukrainian politics and at least some knowledge of the law. So he's not a politician. So he's not part of the administration or in a way a partisan because, you know, CIA, FBI, uh, whatever, people of um, national security, people working for national security, they're supposed to be in... Well, they're many cor- ways new, uh, neutral, and their main uh, job is to protect the security of this country. Right. And, and that's it, right? Well, so I'll, if this guy— I'll tell you, Jamal, these kinds of whistleblower leaks are not common. It takes a lot of courage. I was going to use another word. We can't use that word on, on the air, but it takes a lot of courage for someone like a CIA officer who's sworn— to secrecy, sworn to uphold their security clearance, sworn to defend and protect the Constitution for anybody in the CIA, FBI, or anybody with a top-secret security clearance to feel like they had to blow the whistle on anybody, let alone the President of the United States, takes a lot of courage. The thing that done—you're right. So, but, but, but let me just quote, uh, t- get something from a quote from what he said. So this whistleblower, who we now we know that he is— uh, works for the CIA, said, and these are very important, basically, five words, that the action or the behavior, Donald Trump's behavior, 
risks, poses risks to U.S. national security. Those are the key words. Poses risks to U.S. national security. And that's why he went and reported it. Sure. And I, I, I want to talk about the process because the process is interesting. For anybody to call this person a partisan or a hack or one of the things that Donald Trump said in one of his t- tweets was particularly offensive, Jamal, said that this guy was not on our team. He actually intimated and claimed that this guy was was actually working against the United States. Well, actually, he actually said something worse uh, than this, Jess. You know, he actually insinuated that uh, he was a traitor. Yes. And then he said, and I was looking for the quote, and I'll come back with it. Uh, later on, he said, well, in the old days, you know, what we used to do to people like this or something. I'm paraphrasing. Well, yeah. So he's basically kind of like was advocating for his execution. Exactly. I mean, which is really well, we're gonna get dangerous. To, we're going to get to the content of the complaint, of the whistleblower complaint. We're going to get to the content of the readout of the conversation that Donald Trump had with President Zelensky of the Ukraine, but I think it's important to know that there's there's some shady stuff going on here that we hope our listeners will 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 appreciate. When the whistleblower complaint is made, Jamal, it goes to the uh, uh, the uh, uh, Attorney General of the IC. So the intelligence community, the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence, who oversees all of the intelligence agencies of the United States, there's about 17 of them, when these whistleblower complaints come in, they have to be reviewed to see if they're really urgent. This one was reviewed by the, I, the, A, the IGIC, the, Ater, the AGIC, the Attorney General of the Intelligence uh, Community. He reviewed it. He deemed that it was of an urgent nature. And, and when that happens, Jamal, it has to go immediately to the Congress. Well, that's not what happened. What the D- DNI did, McGuire, what he did instead was get another opinion. There was some back and forth between the White House, the Office of Legal Counsel and the White House, Donald Trump's attorney general, William Barr, and they managed to kind of hush-hush it and delay it for another week or so. They were really trying, Jamal, to hide this whistleblower complaint when the law says if there's a whistleblower complaint within the intelligence community, the law says it goes immediately to the Congress, especially if it's deemed urgent. So, well, especially from someone from the CIA. I mean, this yeah, is this not is a someone coming from out of nowhere. No. And so it came to the light of day. And to put it in the big picture, Jamal, and, and we should really talk about this. Basically, what Donald Trump did is what uh, it, it's what uh, despots, it's what mafiosi do. They shake people down. And basically what this was, was a shakedown, a threat, a quid pro quo, whatever you want to call it. Basically what Donald Trump did in this one conversation with the president of Ukraine was basically say, you need to do me a solid. (laughs) And the solid was, I have, I'm sitting, basically said, I'm sitting on $400 million worth of military aid to the Ukraine. I've stopped it even though it's been authorized by the Congress and I need you to do me a solid and the solid is I need you to investigate these things. It sounds like the godfather I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Absolutely. So I want to go back to Trump a little bit because I was looking at his most recent statement about the uh, whistleblower and this is what he said this is coming now from a recording Uh, and this is what he said. I want to know who's the person Who's the person who gave the whistleblower the information? Because that's close to a spy, he continued. You know what we used to do in the old days when we were smart, right? The spies and treason. We used to handle it a little differently than we do now. That's unacceptable. He's basically threatening him with death. Yeah. Yeah. And anyone who basically had uh, spoken to him. Yeah. Well, in, in because, you know... 
he he gathered some information about all these well uh, discussions. W- w- the, the some of the detail about the whistleblower is kind of interesting, Jamal. He was detailed to the White House at some point, so he had some direct knowledge of President Trump's activities. But the basis for the whistleblower complaint appears to have been based on things that he heard from other people who either were listening to Donald Trump, listening to the conversation, or who had intimate knowledge. Now, let me take a step back. When you get a security clearance, top secret security clearance in the United States, you are counseled that if you see, hear, or come to knowledge that poses a grave national security threat to the United States, you are obligated to blow the whistle. You're obligated to to like say, hey, I'm worried. This person is doing something that is jeopardizing the national security of this country. So the CIA officer, whomever it is, well, we'll find out soon, was just doing their job. Well, he's going to testify at some point. He'll testify in front of Congress so we'll know his identity. Right. And they've already started their campaign attacking him and attacking his lawyer and uh, calling him partisan and – accusing him of treason and and what have you, and it's going to get bigger. Now I'm going to kind of take us to the big question, and actually many questions, because we're going to be talking a lot about this. One is this whole thing with the whistleblower, the impeachment. Where is it going to end up, and is it going to bring down Donald Trump? Is it going to backfire like what happened during the impeachment of Clinton? Bill Clinton, right. Because we know now, you know, it's no problem. It's going to go through Congress, right, because the Democrats control Congress. When it comes to the Senate, we have 53 senators who are Republicans, and we have 47 who are Democrats, and you need— 61 no, 67 67 a super majority so you so basically the democrats they need approximately 20 additional senators ad- additional senators to flip i don't think it's going to happen so 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 we're going to drag cuz you know we're <laughs> 2 years away less than actually the real crux of the presidential campaign and then it's going to take about a year and a lot of resources and Trump now is going to circle the wagons, and he's already been doing that. And he's already, be, he's already been doing it from day one, saying, you know, these sore losers, the Democrats, they have never accepted the fact that I beat them, I won. They can't beat me in an election. They can't beat me at the ballot. So they're going into a whole campaign of smearing me and finding different stories. And we've seen what happened to the Mueller report. Now, nobody is talking about the Mueller report. Nobody. So, so that pretty much went nowhere in a way. And now we're starting, you know, right basically at the end of September, beginning of October, to with this whole investigation – and, okay, so you do it, and, and, and some people will argue, well, that's the process, and if you want to uphold democracy, no one is higher, you know, better than anyone else. No one can violate the Constitution. So is it a bad maneuver, or is it a good maneuver? I think that's a great question, Jamal. I really do. And um, one, pe- one, one data point that you might be interested in so when you survey the general population of Americans, do you or do you not support impeachment? It's kind of interesting. The majority of Americans, and, and it, whether or not they really know, most people know the details the way our listeners do or the way we do about what's going on that's immaterial. But the majority of Americans do not, as of this week, support impeachment. So impeachment is not a legal process, Jamal. It's a political process. So Nancy, well, there is a slight majority, but I wouldn't call it the majority. No, it's I don't kind of think like so. 50 something. No, it's no? It, no. The the latest poll that I saw, and this is before the whistleblower complaint came out, it's only 41 to 42 percent of Americans support an impeachment process. That's not a majority of Americans. The majority, whether or not they say no or have no opinion about it, have not come down strongly enough. And because 
The impeachment process is primarily a political process. And as you say, the likelihood of flipping 19 senators is is probably possible is or 20 senators is is you know unless some other information comes out is really unlikely so you had you bring up a good point i mean the question i'll put back to you well before you do that because i want to add to it because oh. i'm i'm actually playing the devil's advocate and this is the argument that the uh, gop is making and this is the argument that trump is making and one of his strong arguments he says hey wait a minute what about Biden's son. And that this is actually very important. I mean, to me, the fact that now the more I read about it, right, like how serious is this? You know, uh, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, who's basically this whole discussion that happened between Trump and, and the Zaleski. Zaleski was about. I mean, at the end of the day, you look at it and I was like reading what? Biden's son was making $50,000 a month as a go-between, no, as an advisor, sitting on the board, sitting on the board. Say, well, whatever, you call it whatever, $50,000 a month. Yeah. He has no expertise about the Ukraine or even the whole Eastern European thing. He was advising an oil company, am I right? Yeah, an energy when company. He, an energy company, and he's making $50,000 a month. How did he get this position? Out of all the 330 million Americans. Sure. And how did he land this job? Do, do you make $50,000 a month? Well, I wouldn't be here if I did. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying, no, 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 of course I'm not. saying for one job, I'm not saying about other things that he's doing. He's an attorney. I know that he's an attorney. But all of a sudden, I mean, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, when, when Trump poses this well, question, well, except if you're going to look into Trump's affairs, is it also legitimate to look into Biden's Well, I'll, dealings? I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can address that. Well, first of all, it was investigated. Okay. So independently, the whole Hunter Biden um, affair, for lack of a better word, Jamal, was investigated independently by multiple agencies in the United States and in the Ukraine. And there was found to be no laws that were broken. So whether or not it looks good, whether or not it smells good, whether or not it violates kind of just the smell test to have the son of the vice, sitting vice president obtain a job with, as a board member of an energy company in a U.S. ally, it, it certainly doesn't look good, but it did not break any laws, and it was fully investigated. So that's point one. Point two, what is different about this, Jamal, is that you have the president of the United States who his one of his most likely opponents for the upcoming election is Joe Biden. And he's asking a foreign entity, the Ukraine, the president of the UK, Ukraine, to essentially investigate one of his potential political opponents for this upcoming election. That is not what the president's position is about, Jamal. That's a shakedown. When you use the the, the presidency and the seat of the presidency for your personal gain to smear a potential political opponent, that that's an abuse of power, full stop. I, I thought you were going to mention one other thing. What was that? Which is the second thing that Trump asked Zaleski about was to find Hillary Clinton's <laughs> emails. And he said, well, isn't the server... Hillary Clinton's server backed up in the Ukraine. I mean, yeah. he's some sort of crazy. He's, he's still obsessed with Hillary he Clinton. He is obsessed with Hillary Clinton. He's obsessed with Barack Obama. He's obsessed with trying to figure out what's going on with Vice President Biden. Because as it turns out, Biden or Warren, who knows, but Biden has a, as good a chance as anybody as being his opponent. And you cannot leverage the presidency for your own personal gain. Now, we haven't talked about Trump Tower. We haven't talked about Trump Hotels. We haven't talked about all the ways in which Donald Trump and his company, the Trump Corporation, continues to benefit, some people would say, illegally from his being president. So I understand the GOP talking points. They are easily dismissed. I will say about Hunter 
you know, Hunter Biden and, uh, and, and the vice president. It doesn't look good. I mean, come on. Well, why is your son, while you're the sitting vice president, you know, making 50 grand a month uh, sitting on a board? Well, you could also ask also the question why uh, Donald Trump has his son-in-law and his daughter in the White House. Same question. I mean, I mean, this is a whole different story. But I, I do think also this whole idea of connecting it to Hunter Biden, it's not like something I can just dismiss. No, I mean, you can't. It, it ha- you have to look at it. But here's also another question just about the memo that was released, right? The White House, uh, when they released the memo or the full transcript of the Conversation, which yeah. is, by the way, is not a full It's not a transcript. transcript. No, it's not. But reading through it, did he incriminate himself? Yes, he did. I mean, Absolutely. with the language that that was even, 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 you know, I mean, Trump is calling it a witch hunt. But then when you see the questions he was asking, I want you, I want you to do me a favor. Like when you start with the, when you start the sentence with, I want you to do me a favor. But, but Jamal, you missed something. Just before he said, I want you to do me a favor, what the president of Ukraine just said before, we need help. We want the Javelin missile program. We, you know, basically he said, I need something from the United States. So if I say something to you, Jamal, I need... $400 million worth, by the way, something. If I say to you, hey, listen, I need this money that you promised me, and you say to me, well, I need a favor from you. What you're really saying is quid pro quo. You're basically threatening me like you want your money. You got to do me a solid first. This is a shakedown. Um, There's no two ways about it. And and the people of of the United States, because everybody has Trump fatigue. We get it. And that's that's the thing that Trump has on his side. I will say, Jamal, people are tired of his tweets. People are tired of listening to him, even his own. Republican senators and congressmen and women are tired of all this. He really could wear you out. But the people of the United States really have to decide, is it okay for the president to shake down world leaders? Well, he, you, <laughs> he, he, he shook down the Saudis. He shook. Well, he, <laughs> he came with tons of money from the Saudis, well, speaking, basically protection money. But, and we'll get... Yeah, we'll get to that. We talked about this before, but this is different. But just as a quick side note, Jamal, Trump did say recently when he was asked if he would go to war to protect Saudi Arabia against the drone attack, you know, that was carried out from Yemen, allegedly by the Iranians. He said, well, the, the Saudis pay cash. The Saudis pay cash. That was his answer. He didn't give a political answer. He didn't say we fight. We we're not going to fight wars on behalf of, you know, other people. He basically said, "Well, the Saudis pay cash. We'll see what we can do." And he has sent more troops to the area. He has sent more support staff. So, you know, people have to really put their mind and their thinking hats on and really think about: Is this the way you want your president to act? Now, presidents have acted in a slimy way. I mean, we can go back to George Washington as the first president and and kind of go through and maybe notwithstanding. I mean, I I don't think there's anybody that doesn't have some sort of kind of stain on their presidency. I mean, it's a difficult position, needless to say. You don't always make the best decisions or the most moral decisions in the world. But some people would say, and I think we're making the argument, this crosses a line. Okay, maybe the Mueller report doesn't get any traction. But here we have the president of the United States shaking down this other leader. And you know what Donald Trump says, Jamal? What did he say? This was a perfect conversation. There was no pressure. It was perfectly fine. Not even the Republicans believe that, Jamal. Not even the Republicans. So back to your question. I'm going to put the question back to you. Given the current political climate, Given the fact that the majority of Americans today do not support impeachment, should the Democrats go forward? Well, that's the strategic question. So should they go forward because it's their duty to hold the 
president of the United States to a higher standards? No, but any, I would say but any I, standard. I said, yes, I will say yes, but is it strategic? I'm not sure. Yeah. Like the rest of the country, because we've seen what happened during the Mueller report. We also know that they are not going to succeed in the Senate. And right. that's like it needs a miracle to succeed in the Senate. And we also have experience in the, ba- in the past with uh, uh, Bill Clinton. Right. Something like this backfiring. It did backfire. And, and, it, and brought more votes actually to Bill Clinton. So, so I mean, here is the strategy behind it. Because aside from the whole electoral process, because they have to win certain states. And I'm not even talking about the Senate and, um, you know, the opinion of the senators, whatever. I'm more concerned about the public opinion in uh, certain states, Jess. And how is that going to play? Are they going to gain more votes or are they going to rally the troops behind Donald Trump? Because he's playing, you know, remember, he is a master manipulator when it comes to the media. That's this is a fact. This is not this is not something that uh, we don't know. I mean, he he kind of has a better way of delivering the message and a better platform through Twitter and others. And is always going there and saying they want to get me from day one. They're against me. They couldn't beat me. They're still haven't recovered from their loss. He still shif- he keeps shifting the conversation to. You know, Hillary Clinton was corrupt. Joe Biden is also corrupt. Look at his son is also corrupt and so on, playing the victim. And, you know, we're going to waste a lot of time, a lot of resources. And, of course, especially if they don't succeed, which I don't see them succeeding in impeaching him. Well, they will they will impeach him, but they will not convict him. And that's the difference, Jamal. So what the House does is impeach. But what the Senate does is convict. So they just yesterday they got to the magic number 218. They needed 218 votes in the House, in the Congress, in the House of Representatives, in order to actually successfully uh, uh, pass an impeachment resolution. The impeachment resolution goes to the Senate, and it's the Senate, and this is an interesting thing if you want a civics lesson, the Chief Justice of the United States serves as the kind of person who monitors and manages the process of the conviction process in the Senate. So there's a chance he will get be impeached, but the likelihood of him being convicted is very low. Well, he's not going to get convicted because I can see it. If they don't succeed in the Senate and they want, how is he going to get convicted? No, that's what I mean. He will be impeached, but a conviction would mean he would be removed. And it's the Senate vote that counts there, Jamal. And I think you're right. There's no way, uh, unless there's some sort of smoking gun, something else he did that is so abhorrent, I don't see it happening. Well, let's, let's then talk about the maybe the strategic or political maneuver because we know he's not going to get, I, I don't think they're going to go through the whole full impeachment. The question is this whole process. Let's talk about the process. So if we talk about the process itself, right? Yeah. Because obviously we are in a you know presidential campaign. We're in the kind of pretty pretty much in the midst of it. And if the whole process itself will it or will it not weaken him? I have. So, so, I have, so now I have, we're talking I, about strategy, and it's a, it's a it's a you know chess maneuver. We're gonna do this. We're gonna keep right. hammering the nail down until we by the time. We, and, and by the time Donald Trump stands in front of the American people on his first debate with whoever wins, whether it's Biden, uh, Warren, or Sanders, he will be a sitting duck president. I mean, if they're not going to achieve this, are they going to make him a sitting duck president? Then they're shooting themselves in the foot and they're wasting taxpayers' money. Sure. I so mean, that's, that's my question. Sure. This is what I my have issue. Two, I have two answers to that. So at some level, and I think this is the way like uh, Rashida Tlaib and AOC feel about it and a lot of Congress people, Jamal, is that the election issue, whether or not it's good or bad for the election, is secondary to the larger issue 
about co-equal branches of government and whether or not the Congress it can really execute its authority as a co-equal branch to hold the president and the executive branch accountable. Pretty much now, Jamal, the president does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to whomever he wants, and he's getting away with murder, hopefully not literally. But he's getting away with doing whatever he wants. He's well, Donald Trump said if he shoots someone <laughs> right in the middle of Fifth Avenue, he'll get away with he'll it. Get away with it. Maybe I'm just he, using his own words. Maybe he could. So one analysis is it doesn't matter about the election. What matters is the larger kind of principles of co-equal branches of government and the Congress having to exercise its authority as the branch of government to hold the executive branch accountable. From that standpoint, they have to go through the impeachment process. They have to, because well, I mean, uh, they just have Nancy to. Pelosi has resisted has resisted this for until the past, yesterday, until yesterday for the yeah. past two years. So, so, so my feeling, and I'm saying, if you waited two years to do this, and just because of this phone call, you've decided that this was the tipping point, where. What do you know that I don't know? Exactly. What do what do you know more than what we know? Right. As far as you know, the CIA whistleblowers' testimony. There's probably more. And or other other people who are going to come forward. I mean, if you if you're gonna bring more witnesses and others who will be breaking rank or coming with even more damning evidence, I would say yes. But if this is it, if it stops at this, it's just going to be like a ping pong game, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Right. And then the Trump machine, not just Trump, will just try to keep hitting the Democrats, weaken Biden. You know, I mean, they've already started this. You know, he's a weak, you know, they've accused him of being too old. They accused him of being senile. They've accused him now they're going after his finances, after his son's finances. If he ends up to be, you know, the one who gets the nomination. Um, By the way, you're all listening to Arab Talk on KPOO in San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. We're also streaming live on Facebook Live, Jamal Dejani 2. And we're streaming on the KPOO.com website. So I have an interesting idea for you, Jamal. I thought about this. Do you know who this really benefits? Who? I don't think it benefits Donald Trump to be shaking down international leaders. I think this is a blow to Joe Biden. So the real winner, I think, is Elizabeth Warren. Because Elizabeth Warren has been gaining in the polls in Iowa. She's actually ahead of Joe Biden right now. Biden, I think, if this process goes forward, will be weakened. This gives Elizabeth Warren a better shot, I think, at the nomination, the Democrat nomination for the presidency. And as she stands right now, Jamal, she has... Uh, a shot at being a, if you look at the polls at least, every single poll that is done on a head-to-head between Elizabeth Warren and Donald Trump in the, in the election and just the regular you know, head-to-head votes, she wins every, every time. So I think, you know, ironically, that it will hurt Trump because it shows how incredibly slimy dishonest, immoral, how he uses the presidency to enrich himself. He will go down as among the most corrupt presidents, if not the most corrupt. This will weaken Joe Biden because it makes him look like, well, what did you do, man? You were a sitting vice president. You let your son do this. It only helps Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, maybe even Bernie Sanders. Well, you might have a point, except I see Elizabeth Warren, uh, She's meeting a lot of resistance from Wall Street yeah. and the money people. So I don't know how, how will this play. Uh, it, that, it's not going to benefit uh, Joe Biden. That's one thing I'm totally in agreement. Yeah, it's, it's not, not going to help not, him. It's not going to help him because he has also a lot to answer. He's got a lot of baggage. And a lot of, a lot of baggage, but certainly, you know, uh, Elizabeth Warren will benefit. I'm not going to write off uh, Bernie Sanders even though he's kind of slipped in the polls. Right. But I'm going to write, write him off. But for me, again, 
it's about weakening Donald Trump and not, it's kind of like, is this going to work? Uh, is this going to work to weaken him? It will work to weaken him only if Joe Biden is not the, the nominee for the Democrats. That's my theory. If it's head-to-head Donald Trump and Joe Biden, and Jamal, you remember my prediction, right? So I would predict, and I'll say this on Arab Talk today, if it's Donald Trump against Joe Biden, given everything that we know today, Donald Trump wins. I hate to say this, but I don't underestimate for a second the ability for Donald Trump to win another election. And I think anybody who thinks otherwise is living in a fantasy land and is a little bit delusional. So if it's Donald Trump against Joe Biden, I think Trump has a more, more than a 50-50 chance of beating him because he will hammer away. Hunter, Hunter Biden, what did you do? Sleepy Joe, all of that stuff. And people will, you know, will, will kind of gravitate towards that. But him against Elizabeth Warren, Jamal? I think that's a different dynamic. Well, I, I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, some leading Democratic candidates have already been uh, baited by Trump yeah. into using his, uh, his attacks to subtly or not even subtly go after Biden. I mean, they themselves have been going after Biden in the same way Donald Trump have been going after him. He has a lot to account so, for. So, he has a lot to account for. So I think, yeah, so the question of his son making $50,000 out of this deal, Hunter Biden, that's going to be front and center of the argument of uh, Donald Trump. He's going to always, he's going to keep switching or shifting the conversation towards this during a debate. It's not like about, yeah, I asked, I mean, we're talking because he's already saying, you know, there's a lot of corruption in the Ukraine. And and this is how I brought this subject because uh, the president of the Ukraine is fighting corruption. So, so do I, am I, I'm also fighting corruption and we have an issue (laughs) with Hunter Biden. And, (laughs) and this is going to be the argument. So for me, this is, this is going to be difficult. I, I personally, like looking at it from different points, I'm still not convinced that this is, unless there is something like I said, like I've said before, that Nancy Pelosi, who has uh, waited for two years to, you know, accept this whole impeachment process, knows something more than than we know. I think you're right. Right this second. I think you're right. Uh, We're going to go nowhere. I think you're right. Unless she's going to bring more stuff is going to be kind of coming to the surface in the next few weeks. No, I think you're right. One of the things that'll happen, Jamal, is that the whistleblower, when they testify in front of the Congress and the Senate Select Committees on Intelligence, I think what you're going to hear, and it will leak, that it's not just the conversation with the president of Ukraine. I think we're gonna see a lot more, I mean, for, and I said this before, for a CIA officer, to, to do something like this means that clearly there's a lot more, I believe, clearly there's a lot more information that's going to come out. Nancy Pelosi probably does know about it, Jamal. And uh, she, she's, she's a numbers person. She's got to have the numbers. So she must believe, I agree with you, that there's going to be more information that's going to come out. But I still think Biden is the big loser. I know this is weird, Jamal. Biden is really the big loser here. It's not Donald Trump. Well, you, you're probably right. So the one person we haven't talked about is Rudy Giuliani. I was just going to ask you about your friend Rudy. I mean— This I is mean, your friend I mean, Rudy. You live in New York. Rudy Giuliani, I don't know what to say. I mean, if I were Donald Trump, if I, if I, was, uh, if, if I were concerned about anyone shooting his mouth, it's Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. I mean, he basically now, every single day, he has a meltdown on TV. It's pretty disturbing. And he says things that he's not supposed to say. So what's his role in this whole thing? Well, Jamal, this is a very, very good question. Rudy Giuliani is the personal attorney for the president of the United States. In the phone call with the president of Ukraine, he says... I want you to talk to my attorney, Rudy Giuliani, which is completely outside of the norm. Well, I mean, this is the question. What happens to the Secretary of State? 
uh, or national security advisor. Well, that's my point, Shabab. You by, by, bypass them in a bilateral relations with another you, country. You cannot do that. Mike Pompeo and the Secre- Secretary of State and the State Department are bypassed. Rudy Giuliani does not have a security clearance to our knowledge, and yet Rudy Giuliani is on CNN and Fox News, Jamal, saying, I was given permission by the State Department to act in this official capacity. It's simply not true, because in order to act as an official capacity with the State Department as a private citizen, you have to sign a contract, you have to be vetted, You have to get your security clearance. You essentially become an employee of the State Department as a contract employee. And as far as I could tell, and I kind of looked at this pretty carefully, I don't see any evidence of that. And Rudy Giuliani has never said that he worked for the State Department. Second thing is (laughs) Rudy Giuliani says, but I got an email from the State Department saying that I could do it. Well, here is something new. Uh, uh, This is actually new for the first time. So... So this is coming from the special envoy uh, for the Ukrainian ambassador, Kurt Volker, that jump-started uh, Giuliani's contacts with the Ukraine's uh, new leader, basically. And so the whistleblower gives a whole different picture about what happened. So the whistle, part of the whistleblower's complaint, which was released today, by the way, paints a whole different picture. And he was saying that that Volkler, was, after Giuliani went and met um, met with him in Spain, met yeah, with him in Spain, yeah, he was scrambling to contain the damage to national security inflicted by Giuliani, Trump's personal uh, lawyer, and back channeling with the Ukrainian leadership about how to navigate the conflicting messages that Giuliani and U.S. officials were sending. So there is also a conflict in the whole narrative that Giuliani gives you. But that's my whole point, Jamal. So they weren't in agreement about what he was saying and that he was authorized by the State Department. He wasn't authorized by the State Department. So, of course, yesterday, or actually, this is an interview also today, Giuliani said, nonsense, it's a provable lie. So now we have also an inner conflict between Trump's people. Yeah, well, let me just say something, Jamal. If you're working as a consultant for the State Department, you're on the same page with the State Department. The State Department, we know, for example, wanted the money released to the Ukraine for the Javelin missile program and for other military aid. We know that. What President Trump said, I'm not going to basically give you this money until you do me a solid. Talk to Rudy Giuliani and we'll work out the details. That is not a State Department policy. That's part of the political shakedown that Donald Trump did. So Giuliani is going to be doing that. This is damaging Giuliani, not that he had anything left to damage. I mean, the guy is at the low point of his of his life. I mean, I mean, before he started kind of melting down on CNN and Fox News every night for for months, he had a little bit of credibility as being the mayor of New York City during 9-11 and, you know, doing some things that people saw as, you know, good, good, uh, good civics and good, uh, good mayoral kind of, uh, you know, work. But the guy is at the low point. He comes across as... He's been at the low point ever since he ran for, for president. Next, for president. Yeah. Didn't get, you know, he was so confident. He thought that he was a shoe-in and then he got slapped... A few times. A few times. And then after that, he's just like... But doing the, crazy stuff, in my But opinion. the intelligence community is not going to put up with this, Jamal. I mean, r- regardless of whatever you think about what the CIA... Well, here is the thing, because, uh, again, you're 100% right, but, I mean, look at what happened to Mueller. Yeah. Here he was, the head of the FBI, and pretty much now he... Pretty much got shunned. Absolutely. And uh, Trump managed to, to discredit him, to, at least to the public, to say he, he's disgruntled, he's partisan, he's this, he's that. So you would think that the intelligence commu- community, which is like the FBI, will take, a, will take a strong stand with one of their own. But they didn't take a strong stand supporting you know, their own. And now I don't know about the CIA. What will the CIA do with the whistleblower? 
Well, I think the CIA is a different uh, a different story, and I still think that Mueller has a lot of credibility within the FBI and intelligence communities. And by the way, Mueller was the head of the CIA for a while too, by the way, so he's had both roles. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm sorry to keep saying this, Jamal. I mean, I don't. I think this doesn't hurt. I mean, I'm saying really weird things right now because I don't think this hurts Donald Trump in terms of his reelection. Does it hurt him in his history? When the history is written about the Trump presidency, will this hurt him? Yes. Will he be perceived as a failed leader? Yes. Will he be perceived as morally bankrupt? Yes. W could he still win a second term? Yes. This does not hurt his reelection campaign. And as I said, sorry to sound repetitive, especially if he's running against Biden, he has, this is not gonna hurt him at all. Um, we only have a few more minutes left. Right. Can, can I say something about one of your all-time favorite politicians? And who might, who might that person be? <laughs> Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, I'm sorry to bring this up. Yeah. Two days ago was left for dead politically. He's not. Benjamin Netanyahu is like Lazarus from the Bible. He has risen. I don't like that description, <laughs> but anyway, I'll let you go. <laughs> he has arisen from the dead politically. So just when Benjamin Netanyahu was being written off, just when Benny Glantz was going to be the new prime minister, they meet with Rivlin. With, this is how it goes with the Israeli government. The two candidates, Gantz and Netanyahu, go see President Rivlin. They're supposed to form a unity government. Gantz refuses. What happens? It's all turned upside down. They've just announced, Jamal, that Benjamin Netanyahu, even though he lost the election, is now has 42 days. No, no, no 20, 28 days. Oh, I thought it was 42. It's not and 20. I think he can ask for 10 days extension. Okay. But uh, 28 days... He has 28 days to assemble a majority of at least 61 seats in the Israeli Knesset. And if he does... He's then, the new prime minister. Well, he's not new. He'll remain as prime minister because he is still the prime minister. And, and if he doesn't... And if, if he doesn't... Then well, Benny. Well, we, no. Benny still has to also assemble. I mean, But he'll have his 28 he'll days. Ha yeah, exactly. He'll be given that opportunity or you'll go to another a third... Election. Election. So it's not as clear. So, so people are wondering, well, uh, why was he given... Um, you know, the first shot at it ahead of Gantz. And Gantz... Well, basically, Gantz... Initially, he had two extra seats, but then... The difference between them is one seat, right? Because then they found out that actually the Likud won an extra seat. Right. So the difference, so so it's a tie. And so there, I've been reading all kinds of different analysis about this one is kind of like you have to kind of, it's almost like respecting the the ruling champion in boxing. You have right. to give them, you know. Give, give them the first champ. chance. He gets the first chance. And then the other analysis that has been given that it is basically strategic. It's better. Over by Rivlin putting Netanyahu on the spot because if Gantz fails, that, that will give him two months to plan and negotiate right. and, and try to f flip other parties around. So now he only has the 30 plus 10 days versus having 60 days to come later on. And this gives the opportunity for Gantz to regroup. So Netanyahu has to, re to re really pull a miracle or a new trick out of his trick bag and, and get either... Uh, the fastest way is to really get Avigdor Lieberman. Well, I was just going to say, Avigdor Lieberman is the kingmaker. You know, so so if he gets Avigdor Lieberman, but so, some some people think, well, Avigdor Lieberman is so stubborn that he already has already made a commitment or a promise that he will never join a government with Benjamin Netanyahu. It'll make him look weak. That Rev Revlin knows it's not going to happen. And then it buys more time for Gantz maybe to negotiate with Avigdor Lieberman, who basically doesn't hate Gantz as, for, as much as um, actually doesn't hate him. He just doesn't want to join him because of the Arab parties that are there. Well, it's the Arab parties that got Gantz elected. Yeah, so, so, but, so but, but between him 
and Netanyahu, it's a personal issue. And so that's why he was given. So, so basically, it's a game that Rivlin is playing, but some analysts believe that maybe Benjamin Netanyahu might outsmart outsmart everyone, outsmart Rivlin, because he has been known, you know, to uh, to be, he has a nickname called the magician for his political survival uh, skills. But here's the thing, Jamal, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's choices are two. Either he's the prime minister or he's going to jail. Well, that's after that's he leaves av- office. Right, if he is not that's prime minister. That's why he's clinging to power. If he is not able to form a unity government and not able to establish a majority, guess what? Benjamin Netanyahu runs a very decent chance of going to jail in the long list of prime ministers who have gone to, Israeli prime ministers who have gone to jail. Well, he's facing uh, possible indictments in three corruption cases. Exactly. Three cases hanging there. And that's why he has been floating the joint leadership and trying to find leadership and trying to find different uh, solutions. And it looks like it's not gonna. He's not gonna succeed. Like I said, as far as um, convincing Avigdor Lieberman, so he has to find something different. So he has to get some people out of Gantz coalition, really. And Jamal, we're just gonna end in the last minute. I have breaking news for you. Hot off the press. And? There is no Middle East peace plan. <laughs> well, nobody's talking about this. That's my point. That's the deal of the century. That is my point. The distraction of the, the century. Di- there, Jared Kushner, guess what? There is no Middle East peace plan. And on that... No, break- trust me, it will come back because it's a... It just like has a nice stone or nice ring to it, and they'll keep bringing it back, you know, for basically manipulating the public opinion. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO in San Francisco, 89.5 FM. Follow us on our podcast, which you can find at our website, ArabTalkRadio.com. Follow us on Facebook at Jamal Dejani 2, and we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>